Molvad had law enforcement knock on their door with a search warrant, and we will talk about what happened. Newsflash, it's it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, Proton Pass is in beta. Um, Lockdown mode blocked an NSO attack in like research we now have like real research of lockdown mode doing something which is awesome really interesting week welcome to surveillance report 131 where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week i'm henry from TechLore. i'm nathan from the new oil by the way we missed last weekend so this is actually going to be two weeks of news um so not in the past week in the past two weeks um thanks everyone for your patience uh we had to miss last week neither of us could make it with our schedules but here we are and we're gonna have a big week for you so get ready The promo segment, with that said, is still going to be the same as it is every week. So if you want to support us directly, Patreon is the best way of doing that. We can see your monthly recurring subscriptions. We can also give you many benefits in exchange for it as well. Um, Like you can join our Q&A at the end of each episode, which you will find later today. Those are all going to be questions from our patrons. You also have access to video and audio um, that doesn't have these promo segments automatically. So you don't have to skip through these if you're one of the people who skips through these. And also, um, we normally have some like side things that we talk about. Uh, at the end of some of the stories where we share more of our own personal opinions. And so those are also included in the um, patron-only episodes. So definitely check that out down below. If you're not a fan of Patreon for whatever reason, um, we also have LibraPay and we also directly support Monero, which is the most private way of supporting us. And we do see all of your transactions. We don't know who you are, but we thank you all very much for sending those over. Okay, with that, we will launch into our highlight story. And this comes from Mulvad VPN, who was subject to a search warrant, but customer data was not compromised. So this was a really big story. You guys may have heard it on some other outlets. Basically, on April 18th, some officers showed up at Mulvad's office in Sweden with a search warrant. Mulvad explained that they don't keep any user data. Um, They said that they demonstrated this to officers. After the demonstration, the officers consulted with a prosecutor and left without taking anything. Mulvad claims that taking anything would have been illegal since they didn't have any data anyways, and also insists they wouldn't have found anything anyways had they taken any hardware. And Mulvad also says this is the first time they've been searched since they launched 14 years ago. The stories like this are big and they're important because this is the closest thing we're ever going to get to proof that these companies are doing what they say they do other than like you physically walking around in their servers unannounced or like in their data centers unannounced and checking the servers. And personally, I have no reason to not believe this story. I I think this is awesome. You know, Mulvad had nothing to show and now we have proof of it. Again, as much proof as we're ever going to get. All right, data breaches. The American Bar Association data breach has hit 1.4 million members. Uh, The ABA is the largest association of lawyers and legal professionals globally with 166,000 members as of 2022. The org provides continuing education and services for lawyers and judges, as well as initiatives to improve the legal system in the USA. Compromise began around March 6th and was detected March 17th, and notifications began April 20th. Long story short, attackers stole usernames and hashed and salted passwords from before 2018. In many instances, the passwords were likely default passwords that were actually unchanged. Our next data breach comes from a company called Capita, who is a London-based professional outsourcing giant. That is what the article called them. Attackers accessed about 4% of server infrastructure and possibly stole customer, supplier, or colleague data. Capita has been very tight-lipped. They haven't really given a lot of data or a lot of information about this breach. And uh, just to clarify the headline, to my knowledge, they never denied that there was a data theft. They just never presented it as a possibility before, you know. Um, It happened on March 31st, and of course, they did the whole, we're investigating, we'll keep you updated, and now they're saying, okay, there's a data breach. So it appears that the Black Basta ransomware gang is behind this, and like many of these situations, we now know that there's a data breach because they posted the data for sale online, which prompted the company to say something. They claim that they have personal bank accounts, physical addresses, passport scans, and much more. 
uh, Capita has not directly commented on this breach, so they're not admitting or denying that anything was stolen. Yellow Pages in Canada has confirmed a cyber attack. Founded in 1908, the Yellow Pages Group today owns and operates the yp.ca and yellowpages.ca websites, along with Canada 411 online services. The article notes that to be fair, these sites aggregate and share public data. So calling this a breach is a bit questionable since these companies don't really own the data privately. Data includes ID documents, such as scans of passports and driver's licenses, tax documents, sales, and purchase agreements, accounts receivable spreadsheets from February 28, 2023, and budget and debit debt forecast from December 2022. So cyber criminals steal emails and private messages from hookup websites, but you can find the names in the article. Data includes usernames, email addresses, passwords, profile pictures, dates of birth, city and state, IP address, sexual orientation, DMs, and profile bios. The article states that the password hashing algorithm was weak, so um, these passwords were hashed, but Probably not for long. Data was submitted to Have I Been Pwned, and the attacker claims to have the data for about 95,000 users total. I think they said like 87,000 users for one website and like 7,000 for another. Next story, many public Salesforce sites are leaking private data. A shocking number of organizations, including banks and healthcare providers, are leaking private and sensitive information from their public Salesforce community websites. The data exposure all stems from a misconfiguration in Salesforce community that allows an unauthenticated user to access records that should only be available after logging in. Pretty much to our knowledge, Salesforce community sounds almost like a site building tool, kind of like Wix. And customers who use it aren't setting up correctly to require logins to access the data. For example, until being contacted by this reporter on Monday, the state of Vermont had at least five separate Salesforce community sites that allowed guest access to sensitive data, including a pandemic unemployment assistance program that exposed the applicant's full name, social security number, address, phone number, email, and bank account number. They're now reviewing the system and are expressing frustration at Salesforce for not having good defaults. It gets worse the more you read into this, like the government who denied a leak until Krebs presented them with a spreadsheet of social security numbers. <laughs> so it's always fun when that happens. Um, Salesforce gave a PR response about attempting to fix the issue, but it's unclear how seriously they're taking it. I love that. We'll see if we can fix this issue. Our next story is this. Ugh, this one's so screwed up. Students' psychological reports and abuse allegations leaked by ransomware attackers. Uh, this is actually an update to a story from a couple weeks ago about the Minneapolis public school who uh, was hit by ransomware and refused to pay, which is good on them. But unfortunately, now attackers are leaking several documents, including psychological reports. The initial article that they're, they're sourcing here uh, came from NBC News who the article says they did not verify the authenticity of this cache of documents. Although to be fair, uh, Minnesota Public Schools has declined to reply, so it's kind of hard to verify. In total, there were about 200,000 files. This includes everything from, and I'll come back to this quote, relatively benign data, like the contact info of students, to data like student behavioral problems and teacher social security numbers. Quoting the article, cybersecurity experts who are familiar with the leak have said it is among the worst they can remember, unquote. Nation's Benefits confirms thousands had personal data stolen in a Fortrip breach. This is an update to that ongoing go anywhere hack. Man, we're still hearing about it. Pretty much Florida-based technology company Nation's Benefits, ugh, I can't stand that name. Um, it's just Nation's Benefits, like it's two, it's two plurals, Together, it's terrible. It should be nation benefits. But uh, they said they said in a data breach notice filed with New Hampshire's attorney general that more than 7,100 state residents had their personal information stolen in the late January ransomware attack on Fortress Systems. NB spokesperson Michael Freed uh, declined to say what specific data was stolen in the incident, adding that the company is complying with all legal and commercial obligations in response to this incident. AKA, we're doing the bare minimum. I was literally um, just thinking that. 
<laughs> it's like it's that's Nothing my says translation. We're doing the bare minimum, like saying we're complying with requirements, <laughs> right? Which there are none. It's not known how many individuals residing outside of New Hampshire are affected. Nation NB also filed a data breach notice in California, but companies are not obligated under the state's laws to disclose how many residents are affected by a data breach. Okay, our next data breach is a sort of update because this includes Strava. Um, it says popular fitness apps leak location data even when users set privacy zones. So two PhD students from KU Leuven in Belgium, sorry, I totally butchered that, have discovered that if a person is sharing his or her, or excuse me, is starting his or her activity from home, an attacker with limited skills can use high precision API metadata in the app to pinpoint their home location, even if they set up what's called an end privacy zone for that area. So that end privacy zone, EPZ, it basically creates a radius around the sensitive area. So I can pin my home, for example, and it'll make a radius and until I exit that radius, it won't start tracking where my where I'm going to and from. Moreover, despite contacting the companies with apps leaking this data, the problem is still largely unsolved, researchers said. So I think that one was actually talking about uh, some previous issues. The researchers sex- successfully constructed a cyber attack using distance information leaked in activity metadata, street grid data, and the locations of the entry points into the EPZ they revealed in their research. These results allowed them to use regression analysis to pr- uh, predict protected locations of users even when they had set up privacy zones to hide them. Let's say you're running. If you run the same route every single day, then this privacy zone probably works because each app has like a different privacy zone and users can't set them. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly where you might be coming from when you started your run. But if you like to mix it up and one day you run this way and one day you run that way, well then... If you keep doing that after a while, we can kind of see like, okay, here's where the circle is. You probably live in that area. The researchers responsibly disclosed their findings to all the companies whose apps they investigated as well as offered a number of issues that can be resolved. However, so far, only Strava has responded to researchers beyond thanking them for disclosure. CFPB, which is Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, says a staffer sent 250,000 consumers' data to personal account. We use an archive link to bypass the paywall, but this may trigger a captcha, just FYI, for people who actually read the sources, which I think I looked at the stats for that, and it's not many of you, so shame on you people. Um, A Consumer Financial Protection Bureau employee forwarded to a personal email account confidential information on thousands of consumers and dozens of financial firms. The CFPB spokesman played down the severity of the breach, saying the personal information is largely limited to two spreadsheets with names and transaction-specific account numbers used internally by the financial institution. They don't include the consumer's bank account numbers and can't be used to access a consumer's account. The agency asked the former employee to delete the emails from his or her personal account and to certify and provide attestation that each email is deleted. As of Wednesday, the former employee hasn't complied. The issue may renew Republican scrutiny of the CFBB and other credit agencies who collect massive tropes of consumer data, and they don't do a very good job of safeguarding it. Second to last data breach, again, two weeks worth, so apologies, y'all. Cyber criminals published sensitive employee data stolen during Comscope ransomware attack. So Comscope is a North Carolina-based company which designs and manufactures network infrastructure products for a range of customers, including hospital schools and U.S. federal agencies. And this data was listed on the dark website of the Vice Ransomware Gang, Vice Society Ransomware Gang. It includes internal documents, invoices, and technical drawings, as well as personal data of thousands of employees, including full names, addresses, email addresses, 
personal numbers, social security numbers, and bank account info, and in some cases, passports and visa documentation. The attackers appear to have gained deep access into the company's network. Exfiltrating backs up backups of data pertaining to its MyComScope customer portal and its internal intranet. Some of the data was unencrypted and appears to include include both Comscope customer and employee email addresses. It is unclear how many employees were affected. This one's kind of interesting. So uh, the DOJ actually detected that. You, know, you guys remember the Solar Winds thing? Oh man, that was the previous. What's what's the what's the one right now? Go this anywhere. Is, um, yeah, the go anywhere. This is the previous go anywhere, but kind of worse. Um, the DOJ apparently detected the SolarWinds hack six months earlier than it was first disclosed, but were unaware of the significance of what they had found. That's really it. Just a reminder to be proactive. There are so few situations where you're actually notified like on time, like the breach happened last week. And here we're letting you know, here's everything that happened and all the mitigations you have to do. And here's what we've done as a company. Most companies will try to act like nothing happened um, or they'll take six months to tell everybody. Um, and maybe they don't even understand the severity of the situation. Uh, this isn't always done on purpose. It's kind of hard to tell if the DOJ, Microsoft and all these people actually were just unaware or if um, they purposely held something back for some other reason. We don't know. But the point is, like, you need to stay on top of things yourself and just make sure that you're implementing um, good hygiene. And with that, we'll move into the company section. We're starting off with good news. iOS 17 will support app sideloading to comply with EU regulations. So this comes from Bloomberg's recap of the latest WWDC conference. As of iOS 17, app sideloading will be a thing. The article seems to imply that this will only apply to EU users. I don't know, because they didn't explicitly state that. Maybe it'll be something that you can unlock separately. Just kind of wait to see what this actually looks like. But hopefully it will be available for all users, because... Personally, I think that would be really cool. Unfortunately, there's also speculation that Apple may charge for verification of sideloaded apps in order to make up for the missing income. Because if you don't have to sideload an app through the App Store, then Apple doesn't get their 15 to 30% of subscription fees and things like that. If you've ever used a Mac, you know that you don't have to use like the verified apps. You can install anything you want on there. It just kind of warns you, kind of like Windows does with Smart Screen. It just kind of tells you like, hey, this app may be sus. Be sure you know what you're doing. So hopefully that will be how iOS will work should they decide to do this. Or maybe that's a loophole in the law, how they can get around it. I don't know, but it remains to be seen. Hopefully this is good news. Next one, Twitter is making DMs encrypted and adding video voice chat. This is framed by presentation slides titled Twitter 2.0 at Twitter's SF headquarters on Monday. Musk told employees that the company would encrypt DMs and work to add encrypted video and voice calling between accounts. He went on to praise Signal. He said he had spoken with its creator Moxie, who is now potentially willing to help out with encrypting Twitter DMs. The ironic part is Moxie worked at Twitter and actually wanted to do encrypted DMs several years ago, but was denied and then went on to create Signal. Okay, and speaking of features that should be coming eventually... Google will add end-to-end -end encryption to Google Authenticator. So earlier, I think last week, um, we would have covered it probably had we gotten to things last week, but Google Authenticator announced that they would allow you to back up all your 2FA codes to the cloud. And then you could also synchronize them to be uh, between devices, which is kind of useful, I think. I know in the privacy landscape, we don't, in my opinion, we don't really have a lot of great options for synchronized 2FA apps. But if that's something that's important to you, like I need to be able to synchronize my 2FA, then like, hey, I understand why you would be interested in this. So a lot of people probably got really excited about this when it was first announced. However, researchers were very quick, like within a day or two, uh, to go ahead and hook up Wireshark to the app. And they discovered that the seeds were not end-to-end -end encrypted. So Google could see all your 2FA codes. They could see the seeds, which means that any rogue employee, any data breach, 
uh, any person who gains access to your account, now they got your 2FA codes. They got your whole life now. So after this research was made published and a lot of people were like, yo, that's not cool. Google has promised that they will roll out end-to-end encryption for Authenticator. They claimed that they didn't want to do it originally because, you know, to their defense, end-to-end encryption does cause a lot of problems. You know, if if you lose the password, you need to reset it, you lose the backup phrase, things like that, like all your codes are gone. I'm sure that was at least part of their reasoning, if not their full reasoning. My, my rebuttal to the whole like data recovery thing, and this is what Jonah said too, is that there was never any sync functionality in the first place. There is never a backup method or like if you lose your phone, your your codes are gone. That's it. Um, and so even having end-to-end encryption sync is still giving people more backup options. I mean, so, yeah, that's fair. Either way, last note on that. They didn't give a timeline for when they're going to roll this out. They were just like, all right, heard. If that's what you guys want, we'll start rolling this out. It'll show up eventually. So Microsoft has removed LSA protection from Windows settings to fix a bug. So it's a slightly confusing headline. The protection actually still exists, but the settings just been removed from the user interface. You can still check, enable or disable this from the registry editor or your group slash MDM policies. It's just a UI thing. And then another quick story from Microsoft. Microsoft is rewriting core Windows code in Rust. So um, just thought this was a fun fact worth sharing. Rust is a programming language. So y'all, please remember, I'm not a programmer. Rust is a programming language that from what I understand, it's designed to boost security by preventing code from being written if it includes known vulnerabilities in the memory. Other companies like Google have expressed their support for Rust in the past. And I, I know a couple of programmers, and as far as I know, they've all been very supportive of Rust and they think it's really cool. It now seems that Microsoft is rewriting certain parts of the Windows code to use Rust instead of C and C++. So again, not a programmer. I apologize if there are like glaring issues with this, but from what I understand, this is probably an overall win for most users. Might make life a little harder for developers, possibly, um, but for the users, this should be a security improvement. So that's pretty cool. So some Canadian tire stores in British Columbia used facial recognition technology to track customers, a privacy watchdog says. This is another archive link to bypass a paywall. But uh, several of those stores were found using facial recognition technology without alerting their customers. And uh, the stores claimed the technology was used to guard against shoplifting and protect the staff. The investigation showed the stores did not adequately notify customers and did not obtain consent for the collection of personal information using facial recognition. Even if the stores had obtained consent, which they failed to do, they were still required to demonstrate a reasonable purpose for collection and use. The investigation found they did not do so. We're also including a similar story from the UK regarding Fraser's group, who's currently still engaged in the same behavior. Quick good news story. The headline says cyber weapons manufacturer Quadream shuts down. So um, this comes after, I'm pretty sure we covered this on the last episode we did. Uh, Citizen Lab, which does great work out of Canada. Uh, they were actually the ones who made Pegasus a household name. They released a report where they mentioned there's this company called Quadream. They're a spyware company, just like NSO. They sell a zero-click exploit, just like Pegasus. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what the details were, but maybe it was just coincidence. Maybe it was timing. But for whatever week, whatever reason, Quadream has now announced, like, hey, we're done. We're thrown in the towel. So um, good riddance. Later, y'all. Brave Search has removed the last remnant of Bing from its search results page, achieving 100% independence and providing real alternative to big tech search their headline online so just to summarize that um in the past they kind of combined their own results with kind of bing and google to supplement the shortcomings but now it's just 100 brave unfortunately that also means that they have dropped their image search and now redirect to bing or google without much explanation 
we don't know if that's going to come back or what's going to happen there. Um, kind of the ongoing theory here is that, yes, this was always the direction that they wanted to go, but also Bing recently increased the price of its API. So um, maybe uh, Brave no longer wants to pay that price. Next, we're going to move into the research, and this is a kind of fun one. So Apple's high security mode, which is lockdown mode, has blocked NSO spyware, researchers say. So lockdown mode is released a good while ago. It's been kind of unclear, like what it actually protects against. So on Tuesday, the Cybersecurity and Human Rights Research Group Citizen Lab again released a report analyzing three new zero-day exploits in iOS 15 and 16, meaning Apple was unaware of the vulnerabilities at the time they were used to target at least two Mexican human rights defenders. One of those exploits was blocked by lockdown mode, the researchers found. In the recent cases, Citizen Lab researchers said that the target's iPhones blocked the hacking attempts. And this is the cool thing. They showed a notification saying lockdown mode prevented someone from accessing the phone's home app. As other researchers have pointed out in the past, it's easy to fingerprint users to determine who has lockdown mode turned on, but that's not to say its protections are not meaningful. As this case found by Citizen Lab shows, lockdown mode can be very effective. Citizen Lab has reported all these exploits to Apple, which have since then pushed updates and reduced the attack surface. Apple fixed the HomeKit-based vulnerability in iOS 16.3.1, released in February. If I was to summarize all this, I would just say it's nice to see some validation that lockdown mode seems to be doing something. If you care about um, high security on Apple devices, enable lockdown mode. Um, and keep your devices up to date. Okay, so this next piece of research comes from uh, NitroKey. And um, I have differing opinions than the mainstream here, but let's start with the facts. So the headline says, smartphone with popular Qualcomm chips secretly, smartphones with popular Qualcomm chips secretly share private information with US chip maker. NitroKey went out and they got a Sony Xperia XA2 and put EOS on it which is a fork of lineage. They were trying to figure out, does your chip actually phone home? Is that a possibility? So they hooked this thing up to Wi-Fi. They started running Wireshark. And the first DNS requests they saw were to android.clients.google.com and connectivity.ecloud.global. Um, the eCloud thing is probably EOS. I could be wrong about that. Um, and then two seconds later, the phone started communicating with izetcloud.net. The NitroKey people used a Whois lookup to see that this website, this domain belongs to Qualcomm. Investigating this further, we saw that packages are sent via the HTTP protocol and not encrypted using HTTPS, SSL, or TLS. So that means anyone else on the network, including hackers, government agencies, network admins, telecom operators, local and foreign, can easily spy on us by collecting this data, store them, and establish a record history using the phone's unique ID and serial number Qualcomm is sending over to their mysteriously called Isaac Cloud. So then they go on to list 11 data points that Qualcomm could theoretically correct from, collect from your device based on this information and their privacy, Qualcomm's privacy policies. They also go on to note that a significant number of Android devices use Qualcomm chips. Like I think they said earlier, the, uh, the Fairphone and several others use the Snapdragon. And then it is worth noting, it's really important, at the end there, they do go on to show their phones. Now, a lot of people countered this. Here's, here's where I'm going to go ahead and kind of differentiate from everybody. But I haven't really seen any compelling arguments for why this article is dumb. A lot of people also criticize the fact that they only tested EOS rather than Lineage or even Calyx. Like they could have gone out and got a Fairphone with Calyx on it, see if there was any difference. There really wasn't a robust data set there, which is also a fair argument. But I don't know. Um, personally, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's a marketing piece. I'll agree with that. But I got to be honest, I think they made their point that like certain chips could theoretically be sending data home and that's something to be aware of. Microsoft Edge is leaking the sites you visit to Bing. 
Um, so Microsoft's Edge browsers appear to be sending URLs you visit to its Bing API website. Reddit users first spotted the privacy issues with Edge last week, noticing that the latest version of Microsoft Edge sends a request to bingapis.com with the full URL of nearly every page you navigate to. Microsoft tells The Verge it's investigating the reports. This appears to be a bug from a creator follow feature, which alerts you when you navigate to a new site where your favorite creators have a presence. For example, if you follow TechLore or The New Oil on YouTube, then navigate over to Reddit, it's supposed to alert you to our communities or user accounts if we have any. However, it's not supposed to submit all URLs all the time, allegedly. Our next research article is really interesting, actually. It says, The Myth of Individual Control, Mapping the Limitations of Privacy Self-Management. So this is an actual research article. And I'm going to go ahead and quote the abstract here. Despite years of heavy criticism, privacy self-management, the principle that people individually manage their privacy via notice and choice, remains the standard of privacy protection throughout the Western world. Building on previous research, this article provides an overview and classification of the manifold obstacles that render privacy self-management largely useless in practice. People's privacy choices are typically irrational, involuntary, or circumventable due to human limitations, corporate tricks, legal loopholes, and the complexities of modern data processing. Regarding future research, we argue that focus should not be on whether privacy self-management can be fixed by making it more user-friendly or efficient. It cannot. The concept is based on fundamentally wrong assumptions. To meaningfully address the potentials and dangers of personal data processing in the 21st century, a shift away from relying purely on individual control is inevitable. We discuss potential ways forward, stressing the need for government intervention to regulate the social impact of personal data processing, unquote. Just to put that in a quick sentence, Basically, what they're saying is we do need privacy legislation. Trying to do it yourself is not realistic. And I kind of agree with them. I think there's a lot of things we can do ourselves, and I think there's a lot of things we should do. But I think that if we're going to be realistic, there is only so much we can do. And unless you're willing to like completely get rid of your phone or go live in a cabin in the woods, which if that works for you, hey, man, awesome. More power to you. It's not feasible for everyone. The full report is only 15 pages. It's very well organized. There's not like a ton of data points. It's really a lot more philosophical. So I definitely recommend you guys make some time this week to go ahead and read that full report. Last one is a quick one. March 2023 broke ransomware attack records with 459 incidents. That is courtesy of the Fortra Go Anywhere breach. So thank you to Go Anywhere for helping us break records. There are other interesting stats there, but that's the the bulk of the story. Um, Definitely go check it out if you want to see more of the stats. All right. And with that, we'll move into politics. Um, There's a lot in here, guys. I'm sorry. We're trying to pull through as quick as we can. We'll start off with the Earn It Bill is back, seeking to scan our messages and photos. For those of you who are new, quick recap. The Earn It Bill is basically an encryption backdoor. We've killed it twice. It's coming back for the third time. It just won't stay dead like Futurama. Earn it's back. Start calling your politicians. First appellate court finds geofence warrant unconstitutional. So the California Court of Appeal has held that a geofence warrant seeking information on all devices located within several densely populated areas in LA violated the Fourth Amendment. This is the first time that an appellate court in the United States has reviewed a geofence warrant and that's overall great news and we hope that this spreads and happens everywhere. This next story is not great news. It says a U.S. bill would ban kids under 13 from joining social media. Quote, known as the Protecting Kids on Social Media Act, and always be afraid when it has a benign or agreeable name like that. Uh, Specifically, it bars children under 13 from creating accounts on social media apps while also greatly curtailing the algorithms tech companies could deploy on people between ages 13 and 17. Users under 13 would still be able to view content online provided they are not logged in. The bill would also require parental consent before anyone under 18 could create a profile. 
Now, here's the scary part. To ensure preteens and children don't create social media profiles, the bill would also create a government-run age verification program overseen by the Department of Commerce. Quick side note, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, the Restrict Act, it kept saying, like, the secretary can do this, the secretary can do that. Pretty sure it was the Secretary of Commerce, so. The system would require children and their parents to upload identification to prove their age. While this legislation doesn't mandate that companies use the government system, it would nevertheless represent a significant expansion of the government's role in the online ecosystem. So, yeah, regardless of how you feel about social media and kids being on it, I think we can agree this is a pretty garbage implementation, so... Not cool. ICE records reveal how agents abuse access to secret data. So this is a database that Wire obtained through a public records request, which shows that ICE investigators found the organization's agents likely queried sensitive databases on behalf of their friends and neighbors. They have been investigated for looking up information about ex-lovers and co-workers and have shared their login credentials with family members. In some cases, ICE found its agents leveraging confidential information to commit fraud or pass privilege information to criminals for money. In total, ICE employees or contractors have been investigated for misusing agency data or computers at least 414 times since 2016. It's a lot of times for seven years. Of the serious misconduct cases, 109 were were substantiated or referred to management after an internal investigation. Those include a Vermont-based enforcement and removals officer accused of online solicitation of an intellectually disabled adult a special agent who received gifts from a Colombian drug trafficker in exchange for information, a Virginia deportation officer who altered electronic records to electronic records to assist a family member, and an ICE attorney who stole immigrants' identities in an attempt to defraud credit card companies. And in at least 14 incidents, the records explicitly say that agents were investigated for allegedly using agency databases or computers to harass someone or make threats. You can read more cases in this story. Among the databases that ICE agents allegedly misused were those containing medical records, license plate reader data, and biometric data. According to documents obtained by The Intercept, ICM allows ICE agents to access a kaleidoscope of data that reportedly includes information about a subject's schooling, family relationships, employment information, phone records, immigration history, foreign exchange program status, personal connections, biometric traits, criminal records, and home and work addresses. And also this does remind me how um, something Edward Snowden talked about is that this was something that happened internally with the NSA when he was conducting a lot of the stuff there at the NSA as well. It just wasn't uncommon for them to uh, have like inside information on their friends and family and their exes and things like that. So yeah, remember like it's easy to look at these things as organizations or companies like Google and Apple, like they're just companies, Um, but companies are made of people and people have access to things. Um, within companies. And that's always nice to have like in a company environment, companies that don't know anything about you. So even the employees don't know anything about you. Different issue than this, but still something to think about. In retrospect, I think this headline's a little sensational, but it's still not cool. It says Georgia National Guard will use phone location tracking to recruit high school children. The Army National Guard is planning to geofence 67 different public high schools throughout the state, targeting phones found within a one mile boundary of the campuses with recruiting ads, quote, with the intent of generating qualified leads of potential applicants for enlistment while also raising awareness of the Georgia Army National Guard, unquote. This is the U.S. state of Georgia, by the way. I just realized I should have specified that. This is not Europe. This is America. The ad campaign will make use of a variety of surveillance advertising techniques, including capturing unique device IDs of student phones, tracking pixels, and IP address tracking. It will also plaster recruiting solicitations across Instagram, Snapchat, streaming television, and music apps. The documents obtained note that TikTok is banned for official DOD use, so can't 
advertise on TikTok. I guess that's the one redeeming quality of TikTok now is you won't get any Georgia National Guard ads there. While the campaign appears primarily aimed at persuading high school students to sign up, the Guard is also asking potential vendors to target parents or centers of influence with recruiting ads. The campaign plans not only call for broadcasting recruitment ads to kids at school, but also for pro-Guard ads to follow these students around as they continue to use the internet and other apps, a practice known as retargeting. So they'll see one on Snapchat, they'll see one on Facebook, they'll see one on Instagram, YouTube, so on. And while the digital campaign may begin within the fines of the classroom, it won't remain there. One procurement document states the Guard is interested in retargeting high school students after school hours when they were at home, and they say this will allow us to capture potential leads while at after school events. The New York Police Department can now shoot GPS trackers at your car. That could have gone in a lot of directions. Um, it's meant to create an alternative to the standard police pursuit, allowing cops to remotely track a fleeing vehicle without sending a squad of interceptors to tail it. But in the hands of a department known for its surveillance abuses, the presence of any new tracking technology is worrying people. Just a quick update. All right, our next story also comes from New York. This should also be a pretty quick one. 26 cameras on major Syracuse streets could record thousands of license plate numbers daily. The Syracuse Police Department is proposing installing 26 stationary automatic license plate readers along the city's major roads traveled by hundreds of thousands of vehicles each day. The plate numbers would automatically be checked against a hot list, a list of cars police are looking for or interested in. They would also be stored so police could check them when investigating a crime. Um, The article did not specify for how long. The police chief said in in the proposal calls for putting cameras at 26 locations on main streets that people must use to get around the city. The department claims that they would share data with other agencies, but would keep a log of everyone who accessed it, and external agencies would need to submit a written request including a justification, and that there would also be regular audits. There's there's privacy concerns there. A North Carolina bill would allow police to track phones without a warrant. Police could track cell phones in real time without a warrant under a bill that passed the State House Committee Wednesday. The bill is intended to help law enforcement more quickly find kidnapping victims or runaway children. Critics fear further extending the government's ability to secretly surveil people. It always starts with these good intentions, but I'm sure they're going to be like, wait, we already use this technology for saving the kids. Why don't we just use it for this one other thing and this one other thing? That's always the problem with these things. And there's generally not very good oversight over these problems. Just to really highlight our general problems with these kinds of technologies and these bills. The rules wouldn't allow for warrantless wiretapping to listen in on phone conversations, but police could track someone's location and information about who they've contacted without needing a judge's approval. North Carolina's appellate courts have already signed off on police getting people's historical location data from phone companies without a warrant, but real-time warrantless tracking has not been included. Lots of fun stuff there. All right, our next story is super quick. Uh, comes from the EFF. It says, stop this dangerous bill that would normalize face surveillance in California. So this is just kind of a signal boost if you're a Californian. This is AB 642. It grants law enforcement agencies sweeping statutory authority to use face recognition technology to identify and track people across the state, unquote. Truthfully, that's kind of all they said. They didn't, it was more an argument for why facial recognition is bad. It didn't really talk about the bill that much. But I'll be honest, in my opinion, the EFF is usually pretty spot on with these things. They're usually not good ideas. Just wanted to uh, signal boost that one. There's an expansive health data privacy law for Washington state. So on Monday, uh, April 17th, Washington State Legislature passed the My Health, My Data Act. This bill, HB 1155, currently sitting on Governor Jay Inslee's desk after passing both state houses by considerable margins, restricts what can be done with personal health data collected from anyone in Washington. The bill also provides individuals with the right to delete any health data collected from them and stored by the entities collecting or processing that data. The definition is wide and comprehensive, including data directly related to a person's health, like biometric signals, 
like ECG, blood oxygen levels, body weight, movement, and menstrual activity collected from personal devices like smartphones, smartwatches, and fitness trackers. It also covers data used to indirectly infer aspects of a person's health, or that could be used to identify a person when combined with other data types. This definition is more comprehensive than those used in other health-related data protection laws, like Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act and Texas's Capture or Use of Biometric Identifier Act. Another aspect of the bill is its inclusion of an individual right to action, allows any individual within Washington state, not just the state attorney general, to sue a regulated entity or any other company handling health data if those entities act outside of the restrictions laid out in the bill. Washington State Consumer Privacy Act also enables state judges to triple damages and legal fees resulting from such a lawsuit. Good stuff. I like it. Our next story is kind of a quick one. It says just about everyone can get money from Facebook class settlement. Uh, Just about everyone in the U.S. for the record. Some people have noted that. Yeah. So basically there was a class action lawsuit for Facebook if you used it between certain years. I can't remember what those years are off the top of my head. But uh, if you were ever a Facebook user in the 20 teens, um, this probably applies to you. So kind of signal boosting it if you want to submit to get a few bucks from Facebook. Our next story comes from Canada. It is titled Eye in the Sky. It says Hamilton police began using drones in 2021, but the HPS has released little information about their use or the guidelines for operating them. Through a freedom of information request, CBC Hamilton has obtained the HPS's privacy and impact assessment on drones. The document is needed to show how the technology may impact people's privacy and ensure the services in compliance with privacy laws. CBC has also obtained drone flight logs, which reveal how often the HPS uses the technology and more details on why. Unquote. So honestly, um, this is a really detailed article. Like I was trying to look for key takeaways and like summaries and I had a really hard time doing that because there's a lot of really good information in here. So instead, I think this is one of those articles where we're just going to say like, if you're Canadian and you're interested or you're not Canadian and you're interested, um, I recommend you just read the article yourselves. Uh, it's not super long, but there's some really good takeaways in there that I think you guys should go ahead and check out. ICANN and VeriSign proposal would allow any government in the world to seize domain names. The original outlet for this story is pretty biased, so we're sharing the slash dot summary, and the comments didn't seem to express um, huge disagreement. So either the ultimate message is really solid, or else everyone's just giving um, into the group think. Uh, we don't really know, but let's get into the story. Um, ICANN and Verisign have quietly approved enormous changes to global domain name policies in their proposed renewal of the .NET registry agreement, which is now open for public comments. They've proposed allowing any government in the world to cancel, redirect, or transfer to their control applicable domain names. While this proposal is currently only for .NET domain names in that TLD, presumably they would want to also apply it to other extensions like .com, as those contracts come up for renewal. This proposal represents a complete government takeover of domain names with no due process protections for registrants. So um, more of a signal boost seems like a pretty important thing to put on people's tables. Okay, and our last political story. Again, long week. Sorry, guys. Trust me, we're we're trying to power through here too. Uh, says Russia surveillance says surveillance system helping to find draft dodgers. Quoting the article, the Russian military has begun using Moscow's vast video surveillance system to find conscripts who evade compulsory service. Moscow's chief draft officer added that workplaces and educational establishments will also provide information on those required to perform military service. He told the state-run media that one of the main problems for military enlistment officers was that they did not have an up-to-date information for the addresses of men eligible for military service. With the help of Moscow's CCTV camera and face recognition technology, he said, more accurate information on addresses could be collected. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. 
interesting stuff going on in Russia. And we're now going to move into the FOSS section, free and open source. And we're going to start with Proton Pass, which is Proton's new password manager, which is now in beta. This is in beta for lifetime and visionary users. Jonah and I kind of shared our thoughts. We've both been using it. So if you want to hear our thoughts, our newest Techler talks goes into that. I'll leave it timestamped. So you don't even have to like sift through it. I'll timestamp the section for you guys if you want to hear about it. Proton is promising more features coming soon. Until then, this was just kind of a basic PR push with uh, kind of some questionable marketing wording. Yeah, and also KeePassXE got kind of mad about this, uh, which is a KeePass client. Um, and they called out some of the marketing in the Twitter thread where Proton made some technical claims that might have not been substantiated and were used to kind of sell Proton Pass in kind of a misleading way. So, okay, our next story is a really quick one. Um, Fedora Linux 38 is out. They have a new website. Um, they have new spins, which I think are kind of like different, like mini variations. Um, that includes GNOME 44, which the Linux experiment has a full in-depth review of that. And there's a lot more. Again, not trying to pass off the responsibility, but the Linux experiment, he does videos all about Linux. And so I'm sure he's, if he hasn't dove into Fedora 38 yet, I'm sure he's going to very soon. And he will probably cover a lot more things than we will just by reading a press release. And with that, we'll go into Misfits. We made it, y'all. Um, but there's still some big stories here. So for starters, we have the Lockbit ransomware encryptors, which were found targeting Mac devices. Of course, there is a lot more in this article, but the, the really relevant bits are right there at the beginning. The Lockbit ransomware gang has created encryptors targeting Macs for the first time, likely becoming the first major ransomware operator ever to specifically target Mac OS. I don't know if it's because there's more Macs out there or they just found an opportunity, but either way, this is your reminder that nothing is hack proof, so always be careful. Also on that note, uh, lockdown mode's available on Mac OS as well. Unclear if it'll do anything against this, but same advice, use lockdown mode on Mac OS and keep your stuff up to date. Be careful what you're downloading is probably the number one thing though. Up next, Vipersoft X info stealing malware now targets password managers. A new version of this information stealing malware has been discovered with a broader range of targets, including targeting the key pass and one password password managers. The report comes from researchers at Trend Micro who state that Vipersoft X now targets more cryptocurrency wallets than before, can infect different browsers besides Chrome, and is also starting to target password managers. The malware typically arrives on software as software cracks, activators, or key generators hiding within benign appearing software. So again, be careful what you're downloading, people. All right, our next story is just a quick piece of good news from the EFF. It says EFF now has Tor onions. Quoting the article, today we're announcing .onion addresses for EFF.org and two of its affiliated projects, CertBot and Surveillance Self-Defense. And for those who don't know CertBot, um, you can automatically develop or obtain and renew TLS certs for websites. It's really common for self-hosting and stuff like that. And Surveillance Self-Defense is a really good guide, um, kind of a quick 101 on some of the tools out there and techniques for privacy and security. By accessing these websites through tor.onion addresses, users can further protect their privacy and security while using another avenue to access important information, unquote. So that is super awesome. Um, I'm actually surprised they didn't have onions before, but yeah, good for them. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've said it before. I'm a big fan of EFF and the work they do, and I'm happy to see this. The huge 3CX breach was actually two linked supply chain attacks. This is just an interesting update to an older story that we've covered. Stay subscribed. We have more information about that 3CX breach, a VOIP firm. Um, the 3CX breach was a huge deal, and it now turns out that there was these two unique supply chain attacks combined, which paved way to make this happen. Um, so that's just a quick update for people interested in this story. Okay, and our last story this week, uh, the headline says, Digital Security Tips to Prevent the Cops from Ruining Your Trip Abroad. 
So really just sharing this because we've definitely gotten a lot of questions, even on Patreon about people like, you know, if we're traveling, like, what should I do with my phone? And this comes from, I believe the intercept and they have, you know, a lot of international reporters who travel a lot and are probably, uh, sometimes stopped and examined. So, uh, just thought this might be an interesting read for a lot of you guys, especially if you're planning to travel, just something worth, worth checking up on. Okay, and with that, we'll move into our Q&A section. Our first question comes from Siduous Clay, who says, I purchased a few domains and we're preparing to import them into ProtonMail. My question is, if my information is exposed in a data breach and an attacker sets their sights on me, isn't having a generic address better than a custom domain? So basically, their thing is, uh, it's kind of that whole question about blending in. If I have a unique domain and somebody starts targeting me, then it's easier to track that domain across the internet. So number one, if your information is exposed in a data breach and an attacker sets their sights on you, I would argue that number one, you should be using like forwarding email addresses, like simple login or something like that, because then they don't know your actual email address and you can just turn off that alias if they start spamming you. So number two, you mentioned here, like if your information is exposed and they set their sights on you, um, at that point, I don't really think the domain name matters, to be honest, because at that point, they're targeting you specifically. So if they have your domain name, if you have catch-all enabled, then they could definitely like just keep creating new email addresses and spamming you. It kind of related to that. Another thing you asked in this question is like, is there any way that they could block or intercept your emails or take down your domain? I mean, it's definitely possible, but again, that depends on a lot of factors. Like who is your opponent? Uh, if your adversary is a government, then yes, they have a lot of tools at their disposal to do that. It still really depends. Like it depends on the vulnerabilities in the provider. Uh, it depends on their social engineering skills. It depends on how much data they're able to get about you. What's the worst you could do? Truthfully, I don't think you could do much again, other than like spam that person or maybe see where else they have accounts. I mean, I, I guess that's a valid concern actually, but even then they would have to know what emails you're using. If you use a different email address for every account, like nonsensical, like almost like passphrases, like randomly generated usernames, kind of like simple login does. If you're using those everywhere, then even just the domain name itself is not enough. There's really not much they could do there. Ultimately, I would say I'm still a real big fan of using a custom domain. That's a huge thing for me personally. I'm a really big fan of it. I think it's something that almost everyone should do. I think the big thing you're missing is threat modeling. Because again, you say like, well, theoretically, if someone gets my my domain name, what's the worst they could do? Which is a good question to ask. But I think you also need to walk through those other questions of like, okay, could they take over my domain name? How could I prevent that from happening? If they take over my domain name, what can I do as a fallback? Who is this person going to be? Sorry if that answer was kind of a mess, but there's a lot going into this question. I still think using custom domains is really good and really important. Okay, and then Usual Suspector asks two questions, actually. Um, the first question says, I want to get out of Facebook's gr uh, grasp, but it will greatly diminish my ability to keep in touch with groups and friends who are heavily invested on Facebook. I could, of course, just delete Facebook, but it will make it impossible for me to keep up. So far, I haven't found a middle ground. and wondering if you have any recommendations. My first question, and bear with me, my first question would be, have you tried it? Because... I know a lot of the time, back when I used to be on Facebook, people would always like get fed up and be like, oh, I'm leaving Facebook because they changed the color of the banner or whatever. This is dumb. And they never left Facebook. So I know for a lot of people, when I left Facebook, I still ran into people who like I would run into them randomly around town and they would still just be like, oh, hey, let me get your phone number because I think they kind of thought I was full of crap. Like, oh, he's not going to leave Facebook. And then I did. And they were kind of like, oh, crap, I didn't get his phone number. Have you asked those people like, hey, if I leave Facebook, would you be willing to do this? And that'll kind of vary because some people will say yes, and then they won't do it just because they're forgetful. And some people might say no, like I'm not willing to do that. To me, honestly, that's what I would try. I would try actually getting off Facebook and seeing if it works. However, there is always the possibility that like, maybe they, they really won't. In those cases, I would say to keep the account, but like take the app off your phone, 
check it maybe like once a day or less if you can. Last question, you said, how would I be able to communicate with friends that keep using Messenger? Again, if they won't follow you first, try and see if they'll follow you. And if they won't, then maybe a progressive web app. I don't know if that'll work on Messenger, but it might. Um, if you don't need to talk to them throughout the day, then you know, once a day in the evening, hey, I'm going to log in for 10 minutes, respond to messages. And honestly, I, I think a lot of people would probably get sick of that and be like, screw it, man, I'll just download Signal or whatever. What's your take on the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft? Currently, um, Britain's antitrust watchdog vetoed the gaming industry's biggest ever deal, saying it would harm competition on the cloud. Do you have some comments on that, uh, Nathan, as you are a gamer? I'm more of a casual gamer these days. I actually... I played some video games this weekend for the first time in literal months, uh, possibly all year. So yeah, unfortunately, um, that's not something I can really comment on with a lot of uh, expertise at the moment. I, I can comment on the second part is competition being hampered. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, the bigger companies get, the more monopolistic they get. And then we have like Google, who's like, you know, we're going to put analytics on every single website. Or we have like, you know, Amazon, who's like, where else are you going to buy your products? Like, I mean realistically us being privacy people, we know that there's other places you can go, but also realistically, uh, sometimes you have no choice. I actually need to buy new gloves and the only place I can get them is Amazon. So, um, yeah, I do think competition and privacy are hampered by companies getting bigger and bigger. Thanks everyone for tuning in again. Mulvad was searched, but nothing good came of it. Proton pass is in beta lockdown mode blocked some NSO spyware and lots of other stuff from the last two weeks. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, we're all just trying to get caught up here. So thank you all for um, working with us and still engaging this far into the video. Um, again, promo segment. If you like what we're doing, it really helps us a lot if you join our Patreon. You know, this is all just free content that we're publishing to the world. We make almost like so little from YouTube itself and the ad revenue and anything like that. So if you really want to support this podcast, Patreon's the way to do it. This is currently only really community supported at the moment. Um, so Patreon, if you want to support us, there's lots of fun perks that come along with that. And if you don't like Patreon, we even support LibraPay. So if you want to go through um, a, a cleaner, more privacy-friendly provider, there's LibraPay as well. And if you don't like anything like that and you want this to be super direct, just us and you, um, Monero is something else that we offer as well. And that's it. So thank you for listening to the report. The final thing that we always want to ask you to do is to share this around because we rely heavily on word of mouth. And so if you have friends or family and one of the stories today resonates with them and you want to share it along, make sure to share that timestamp with them and share them a story and share the podcast around because we really like that word of mouth. And also, if you're on a platform that allows ratings, go ahead and give us a rating. Um, and that's it. We'll see you all hopefully next week to avoid the chaos of having to cover two weeks of news.